You're listening to Radio Orbit with Mike Hagan on KOPN 89.5 FM. My guest is Dr. Eric Feigl-Ding. Eric is an epidemiologist, health economist, and nutrition scientist at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health. In addition, he's a senior fellow at the Federation of American Scientists. He's an outspoken and valuable source of information regarding the 2019 NCOV coronavirus epidemic. I had the privilege of speaking with him exactly two weeks ago today. His opinion is highly regarded and sought after, so I'm thrilled to have the chance to get an update from him this afternoon. Dr. Eric Ding, hello, sir. Thanks again for taking the time out to talk with us here in the middle of the USA. Yeah, happy to be here. It's uh, it's crazy epidemic, so glad to get the word out. All right, um, maybe we could start off with a little bit of review. The last time we spoke, and we've got two weeks of of sort of history behind us now, we started off by talking a little bit about incubation, transmission, and fatality rates. And I was wondering if we know anything more than we knew then uh, today. Yeah, um, in terms of a fatality, I think we've pinned it better to somewhere between 1% to 3%. Um, and it seems like, you know, we know that um, children seem not to have severe cases while the elderly have um, much, much more severe cases and mortality. Yeah, the t- children issue was on my list here. Maybe you could expand on that a little bit since you brought it up. Yeah, um, it was it was interesting. Like, there's almost no children under the age of 10 who have any severe disease. They do get infected, just like the rest of us. But in terms of being seriously ill, there's almost very, very few uh, documented cases of it. And um, a recent study just showed that children seem to be 67% less likely than uh, young adults um, of, of becoming severely ill. So in certain ways, that's good. But, um, you know, this is still a serious disease for the rest of us. Okay. All right, so back to incubation, transmission, fatality. You said between 1% and 3%. I guess it depends on the circumstances, sort of. Yeah. I think it also depends on where you are. You know, not every country has the same health care system. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, like Korea right now has a mortality slightly less than 1%, but a lot of uh, Korea has really good testing, and Korea's cases are still pretty young. Uh, the outbreak has not been going on for a long time. Um, so I think, you know, in transmission also, in some places, it you know, it could be from two to four reproductive number, as in, for every infected person, it will infect additional two to four. But I think that number has probably come down mm-hmm. with um, public health containment in terms of uh, hygiene measures, you know, and social distancing measures. But at the same time, it's it's a serious runaway epidemic, um, you know, in many parts of the world, including Italy, uh, a lot of parts of Europe, and it seems here in the U.S. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about Italy and, and some pretty extreme measures taken there. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what's happening there. And then uh, I haven't heard much about other other parts of Europe. Yeah, well, Italy is obviously the worst in Europe, but um, it's it's growing in France, in Germany, in the UK. Hmm. It's, the numbers are basically going up everywhere. It's just Italy is, 
is facing the brunt of it um, because their epidemic in Lombardy um, province mm-hmm. seems to be so harsh that they don't have enough doctors and nurses. Um, they don't have enough hospitals or ICU beds. They're now even rationing who can even get an ICU mm. uh, respirator treatment based on your chance of likelihood of surviving. So it's, it's, in certain ways, it's, it's very worrisome. Um, and it's basically Italy is having a Wuhan 2.0. And are we having it here in Seattle area? I'm not sure, but it's epidemic is definitely growing in the U.S. too. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the response here in the United States. There's been quite a bit of criticism out there in the, in the world about the lack of testing and our inability to sort of get it moving. I, I think even now we're still only doing maybe 500 a day or so. I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong. But what's, uh, what's happening with our, our response here in the U.S.? Yeah, um, the testing has is, is been such a mess. As I mentioned two weeks ago, um, you know, they had, we had some test kit problems and, you know, just the ramp up of that uh, in other states has been seriously, seriously constrained. The U.S., you know, um, previously, you know, just two weeks ago was, was stuck at 500 tests mm. cumulatively and has not uh, gone up much uh, at, uh, two weeks ago. But ne- since then, it's gone up a little bit, but we're still talking about only like a dozen or two dozen tests per state. Mm. capacity, which, you know, compared to that of South Korea, South Korea did 15,000, not 1,500, 15,000 right. tests per day mm. in a small country of Korea. Yes, yes. Um, and and we're just not nearly matching that. Mm. We're finally ramping up a little more, but, you know, I think we've had this epidemic since, since uh, two weeks ago really, really cascade and and we know that we've basically had community transmission for quite a while. And community transmission cases are the worst because you almost can't trace where it came from. It's right. been floating in the community. Well, I know there was a story that came out, perhaps it was yesterday, perhaps the day before, and I know you commented it, uh, about it on Twitter. And I'd like to give out your, your Twitter handle if, uh, if we could right now. If you'd like to follow Dr. Eric, you can do that on Twitter at Dr. Eric Ding, and that's D-R-E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G. He has well over 100,000 followers right now, and it's well worth uh, your time if you want to be up to date and up to the minute pretty much informed on what's happening with coronavirus. He does a remarkable job on, on his Twitter feed and, uh, and puts a number of updates up there every day. Mm-hmm. So anyway, okay, so yeah, I was going to ask you about a story where they essentially said they were going to stop testing in general, in either the Seattle area or Washington, they, they said that the thing was now oh. endemic and they were just going to quit. Yeah, well, that was for the Evergreen healthcare system, and they they have they was they've since changed it. But at that time, they were saying, "Well, upon advisement from the CDC, because it's so endemic, which it means basically it's been around for a long time, it's perpetual." And which is not true at all. This is such a new virus, and it's not anywhere close to endemic yet. Um, to say we're going to stop testing, and that was extremely frustrating when when I read that. Mm. Um, and you know, they since try to backtrack a little, but it's just you know, 
it's just so frustrating, the lack of testing. And even now at the nursing home uh, where we just had three more deaths today, not all the patients and the healthcare workers at the nursing home in, in Seattle area has even been tested, even you know weeks mm. after the first outbreak have happened there. Unbelievable. So it's 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 terrible in certain ways. Um, there's also you know Gates Foundation is stepping up. They're going to start um, distributing home test kits soon. Uh, University of Washington is ramping up its testing capacity to help the community. Uh, the states and other areas, and they've also implemented the drive-through testing, which mm. is a really good idea because yeah. one yeah. last time, last thing you want is someone who has a broken ankle to go to the ER and get infected by someone who's coughing up a lung mm. um, and infecting not just people in the waiting room but also other doctors and nurses. Yeah, so having like a special, separate, separate triaging area and a drive-through system, which uh, it separates everyone from the rest of the people who are visiting ER. It's a really great idea, and I think we need more of that nationwide. Yeah, I think I read a story that some 10% of healthcare personnel that were working on patients in Italy were coming down with the virus themselves, doctors, nurses, etc. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And, and in one hospital in Wuhan, almost... Uh, uh, 29% of patients in one hospital were actually the healthcare workers who were wow. affected. But yeah, but the, like we can't have this happening because if you want to actually worsen the epidemic, it's to basically put healthcare workers out of commission. Hmm. UC Davis, um, when the California has its first case, UC Davis had to quarantine 128 doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers because of sloppy exposure to the first uh, infected case. So then all of a sudden, all these 128 healthcare workers are now put out of commission for half a month. Hmm. We can't have that. Right, right. Was there some sort of uh, advisement about the length of quarantine? I've seen numbers like 14 days, and that didn't, yeah. it seemed to me that that wasn't long enough. Yeah, 14 days is the standard. You know, we're working on a project trying to figure out should it be longer. On average, the incubation time, which is what the uh, quarantine is trying to lock down uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, and limit, is incubation is the, the time between your first infected and when you show symptoms. Okay. And so if someone was, say, shook hands with someone who was sick, um, we're trying to figure out, is this person who shook hands with the sick person also infected? Well, you would quarantine them for 14 days. Hopefully that if you did get sick, um, you would show signs or symptoms within 14 days. And if you didn't, uh, you can be let go on the, into the wild on the 15th day. The question is, you know, the incubation time is on average five to seven days, but could there be an extreme tale of outliers who actually are having incubation longer than 14 days that the 14-day quarantine won't pick up. And so when you release them into the wild on the, on the 15th day, they could actually still have been infected. Mm. This is something we're trying to figure out. Um, there have been anecdotes of a few people in China with incubation longer than that time, but it is rare, but we want to, we're not sure how rare it is. Okay. But um, but right now, for the most part, 
our containment is no. Okay. Uh, find who a, a sick person um, was exposed to, and then it's called contact tracing, mm-hmm. and then uh, quarantine those people. And this is why three members of Congress, Ted Cruz, um, Doug Collins, actually four, Matt Gates, and uh, another uh, uh, Congressman Gozar, uh, four members of Congress have been quarantine uh, based on their exposure to someone at the CPAC conference. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's, it's tricky. Uh, like this, this virus knows no partisan bounds <laughs> or <laughs> levels of, you know, hierarchy. Right. How mild can symptoms be? I'm, I'm concerned about very mild cases where people maybe don't even realize they have it or just think they have a little cold or something and then potentially could be, could be spreading that around. Is that something to be concerned about? Yeah. So mild cases is about 80%. Mild to moderate cases are 80% of all um, the infected and then 20% of severe. Um, And so some people say, well, if 80% are mild, um, that's okay. But, you know, a lot of these mild cases um, is not just sniffle. It's, It's actually having a fever and having a somewhat of a pneumonia. Hmm. Um, that is still considered mild and moderate. And so, you know, mild is a quote-unquote, um, you know, uh, it's, it's all relative. Mm-hmm. Secondly, the other thing is, you know, mild, having 80% of the cases being mild is also a problem because if it's too mild, um, mm-hmm. these people still go to work. Yeah, Often yeah, sometimes yeah. They don't know whether, oh, it's just a sound, it's like a you know, a flu, you know, sometimes I can still go to work with that sometimes. And these people, this 80%, suppose you have like 100 people like that, it can actually balloon the actual number of people who have, are infected even higher. Right. And this is why we need really generous sick leave and paid time off work policies, because especially a lot of low-income workers who are not on a salary basis, they are hourly workers, if they come forth and get tested and then they're test positive uh, and get quarantined, they basically lose half a month's income. Yeah. And and this is a serious problem because then nobody wants to come forth and get tested, but mm. if they don't want to come forward and test it, then they keep spreading it. It's a vicious cycle. Man, oh man. If you don't encourage people to come forward and get tested. Yeah. Okay. So this is why workplace policies are so important. Okay. All right. Let me ask you a question about reinfection. Do we know much about the ability of this thing to reinfect a person, like the flu or like a chicken pox, something like that? Yeah, I, I don't think it. So far, the rumors about reinfection. I think it's not necessarily reinfection, but that the body never really cleared it from um, the mm. virus in mm. the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's an anecdotes of someone who's tested negative, 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 and then tested positive later or they were they improved all their symptoms um they tested negative twice and then they go home and then they test positive again and and get sick again that that kind of thing has happened many times but i think it's more of the the fact that the test um has a lot of false negatives so the test does pick up the positives are definitely most likely positives but sometimes um uh, the virus could elude uh, the, the test. You could actually get a lot of false negative readings mm. in which someone is still in, being infected. 
And we know from China that their version of the test um, had been 50% um, 50% accurate. And, you know, in certain ways, that that's, you know, at least it's picking up the cases and these are true cases. But for using the test to res- uh, release someone and resolve them of the and say you're you're recovered. That's very tricky because the test has a lot of false negatives, and this is why CDC has to confirm a lot of additional tests. And but this also slows down the process. Um, so hopefully we'll get more accurate tests in the near future. Okay, I'm here in Missouri, and we got the most recent news yesterday of I think the first case that was announced here in Missouri, at least somewhere in St. Louis, and. That was a situation where they had self-quarantined and then decided that they were going to leave the self-quarantine to go to a high school dancers or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I heard that case, too. I posted it as well. Really hard for people to self-quarantine. I understand that. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes you have an emergency or some sort. But to leave the self-quarantine and then go to a public a school dance event i feel it's like very irresponsible yeah yeah no it's not like you're going to the store to just get a medicine and quickly come home Mm. but you're risking a lot of exposure this is why we we have a quarantine for a reason Mm. well and i was also uh, bringing that up just to make the point that we're right here in the middle of the country and i mean if it's uh you know started on the coast well it it certainly has made its way uh inland yeah yeah it's there's a lot of cross-border infection. It, 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 we actually, there was a study that actually showed the the Grand Princess ship off the coast of San Francisco that has mm. um, 21 cases. That one actually is an import case from Washington cluster weeks ago. Wow. So the person who recently died, uh. he was on the cruise. He had, he had brought the virus onto the ship and then, obviously, the ship sailed. He got off the, the ship at a stop. And then now the rest of the ship is has a lot of infected. That actually came from Washington, even though the ship sailed from San Francisco. Wow. And we were able to deduce that based on looking at the, the mutation of the, of the virus. Hmm. So I'm pretty sure that, you know, we have cases across the country of people who've been traveling for the past four weeks. Um, and there's a lot of community transmission. So I don't think anyone, unless you live in a log cabin in the woods, mm-hmm. in a remote part of the country and not seeing anyone, I don't think anyone's entirely safe. Wow. Would you say that, uh, are, is, any, is anybody speculating, you know, people in your fields, are, uh, are, are people speculating about perhaps the number of cases that might actually exist, not knowing because we're not doing the sufficient amount yeah. of testing? Yeah, someone did some modeling, and they they estimated by the end of February there was probably like several thousand, and and now we're like approaching mid March. I think yeah. I think there's probably over ten thousand cases yeah. in the U.S. that's been undetected, and and that's a real concern. You know, basically anywhere you test, for example, in um, at a, one conference in Boston. Uh, 60 people were exposed at a Marriott conference. So they took them to the hospital to test. One in four came back positive, 15 out of 60. Wow. And in many other states, um, 
you know, the positive rates is like basically one in five people tested, one in six people, one in four people. It's it's really high. Um, now, granted, these are suspected cases, but uh, I expect there's so much more. You know, these are just based on tests of like two, three, four dozen cases. Yeah, very small numbers. If you yeah. scale that up to all the number of people who have flu symptoms, oh. this could be much, much worse. Right, right. You mentioned mutations uh, a minute ago. I, I know there are two strains of this that have been identified of the coronavirus that we're talking about. Could you talk a little bit about that, the fact that there are two strains, and how potentially probable is it for mutations to occur, and are those necessarily dangerous or sometimes maybe less so? Yeah, well, mutations are a fact of life for viruses. Um, uh, and, and flu, by the way, has a different system for mutating than this coronavirus. Huh. And the flu mutates much faster than this coronavirus. Um, so it's a long, complicated reason. So, so there has been uh, saying suggestion of two different strains. There actually are many different, um, tiny, tiny differences even within one strain. So um, they say that early on in, in China, there was one strain, but the export cases outside of China are mostly uh, a, a milder strain. That is very speculative, I would say. Okay. Um, you know, the, the problem is in China, in Wuhan, there was a higher mortality because anywhere, look, like for example, mortality is going to be very high in, in Iran and in Italy. Anytime the... Uh, any virus overloads a healthcare system beyond its capacity, mortality is going to go up. Mm. You know, hence the right. you know rationing of ICU care to just those with highest chance of survival. So it's hard to say. Is it because that you know, is it a more deadly or dangerous strain, or is it just that it had hit Wuhan early on when um, the mortality? W- was high because it overloaded the healthcare system there. Right, right. Uh, it, we we don't know for sure, but we're monitoring that. But uh, for the most part, this virus um, is is pretty bad. It seems, um, regardless of these kind of minor differences. Okay. And again, it's these minor differences that allow us to see that you know the San Francisco mm. cruise ship strain is actually the same uh, uh, as the as the Washington state cases. I see. But I see. these mutations, yeah. like, don't worry about them from a public health standpoint right now. Okay. We don't, we don't think that, that there is, like, a, a deadly strain versus a non-deadly strain. Okay. What do we know about China? I feel like I haven't heard much from China recently. Well, China, it, the cases is improving. Um, they basically cost your economy several percentage points in GDP growth uh, because of it. And, creating like supply chain bottlenecks uh, for a whole range of different things. Uh, now they're trying to, they're ramping up to getting people back to work. But the question is now that people are getting back to work is the epidemic, mm. could the ep- epidemic still flare up? Right. Because it was snuffed out for a while because they basically shut down the whole country and, you know, no one's going to work, no one's going to school. But now that people are going back to work and school, uh, you know, is that is, is the worst over, or it could flare back up? Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, right now there's like, like a week ago there's more cases outside of more deaths outside of China than inside of China, and and that's true very much true today. For example, 
worldwide cases outside of China was 4,000 new cases yesterday. While in China, you're just talking about like um, sometimes less than 100. Um, so but the problem is, you know, is America able to do the full authoritarian type of lockdown that China does? I'm not sure it can. Yeah, I don't and even the uh, NIH's uh, Dr. Fauci says the U.S. cannot nearly match that kind of containment process, um, which was horrendously imposing on human rights, and yeah, and yeah. Uh, it was very difficult for China to even do. And I don't know. This is today's stock market. I, I don't know if you saw. Oh my gosh! Totally tumbled and crashed. The worst stock market day since uh, December 2018. Yeah, it's been it's um, been crazy, and and combined with the last few days, I mean, I think the market's down some three thousand, maybe thirty five hundred points in just the last three or four days. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there. I don't think we're done hmm. because I don't think I'm, okay. Some people say, well, now it's priced in the market has adjusted, so it should bounce back up. You can buy a stock cheap. I'm not sure about that because. Now, I'm not a market analyst, but what I can tell you is I don't think we've seen the worst yet in the United States. Mm -hmm. Because have we had stories of ICU shortages yet? No, we haven't. When those stories start emerging in the U.S. like they have in Italy, the market's going to respond really, really badly. Mm. Have we had members of Congress test positive yet? Not yet. Um, but if they do, it's going to be a canary in the coal mine of of basically how bad it is yeah. in, the, in the actual U.S. if, you know, members of Congress start even testing positive. And those kind of things, like, and, and the mortality, remember the mortality lags behind the number of cases identified. Right, I right. Think the de I think de not just cases going up, but mortality going up, that is going to scare the market a lot more in the coming weeks. So I don't think we're through the worst of it yet in terms of, of market reaction, let's just say. Yeah, and as far as timeline, I mean, I guess where where would you say? I mean, we're more toward the beginning than the end, I guess. Well, we're definitely statement. still at the beginning because all of our all of our testing is still bottlenecked uh, mm. to, to some degree. There was an article that basically says the U.S. is only capable of testing like less than two thousand cases, uh, two thousand samples a day, yeah. and um, you know, you know, we and. The U.S. needs to probably do like 10x or 50x that amount to truly, you know, get a be handle on it. Comparable to Korea's 15,000 tests per day. Oh my gosh! Um, and and so we're still also harvesting a lot of um, old cases from two weeks ago that should have been diagnosed earlier. Uh, the new cases uh, have not been fully diagnosed. I think if you look at it in terms of U.S., the mortality in the U.S. just on the back of the napkin currently. This is not the actual case fatality. This is just what how many deaths there are per cases identified. Mm -hmm. We're like at like four four percent or something like that. But we know the true um, we know the true mortality is probably one to you know two percent. Right. So the fact that we're seeing four means we're picking up a lot of deaths, which means we're picking a lot of older cases. Right. Right. A lot of the newer cases have not been identified. We have a lot of underdiagnosis. Mm -hmm. uh, this is why. You know, we're missing a lot of cases in the denominator. This right. is why we think there's definitely over 10,000, we think. But we don't know until we have enough headlights to scan the darkness um, around us right now. Yeah, okay. 
All right, a couple quick ones here on the way out. What's your advice for individuals or families, if you have any? And then also, I'd like to ask what you'd like to see from the .gov, what you'd like to see the CDC, et cetera, National Institutes of Health, what you'd like to see them uh, yeah. doing. Yeah, in terms of um, family, I think I think we should prepare, but we shouldn't panic buy, because panic buying doesn't actually solve anything. I think we should prepare a family that are we able to work from home? Uh, are we able to... or um, if the school depart, uh, schools districts cancel, can we handle school cancellations and still work uh, if needed? Mm. Um, and if we can't work from home, what accommodations can we work out with with doc, uh, with um, with our workplaces? These are the difficult conversations we need to have have. And if someone in our family needs to be quarantined, which could happen, uh, you know, it's based on any random exposure, do we have a bedroom in a house that we can be used as a dedicated room for someone that needs to be quarantined and isolated? All these are very difficult. Um, I don't have an answer for, for everything, but we do need to kind of keep these things in mind going forward. Um, okay. And as for government response, testing, 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 Yeah. Uh, obviously. But, you know, allow, you know, allow states and private tests to carry out more tests. And right now uh, there are, it's ramping up Um, focus on vaccine development. But I think there's many scientific groups that are racing against the clock, trying to create a vaccine as soon as possible. Um, And also the other thing is Americans want faith in their government and certain. So in certain ways, the CDC has to report how many tests are being done, not just at CDC, but across the country. Americans need to know, you know, is it how many tests? Are we still at a bottleneck? We need answers for these. And CDC has recently, like, eliminated the number of, uh, eliminated the reporting for how many tests they're actually performing, which is very, very frustrating. Like, that, that it seems very, uh, you know, dystopian to kind of, like, muzzle that kind of information. Yes, I CDC agree. has to be transparent. Yeah, and uh, CDC has to update its website over the weekend because, you know, not working over the weekend, not giving the people new information over the weekend is very frustrating. People just want answers. They want to see that the government is providing as much information as possible. And transparency, transparency is absolutely critical for trust in this crisis. Okay, absolutely agree with you. All right, last question. Has there been any progress that we know of with regard to a vaccination or immunization of some sort? Uh, yes. So the vaccines, different groups have say they've developed a, a candidate vaccine, but it has to go through phase one testing, then phase two testing, um, and then optimally at phase three testing. And, uh, you know, that is still quite a ways off. Right. right. You know, one, one year's time for vaccine would be a world record. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're probably saying maybe a year and a half. But in certain ways, there's also antiviral drugs that they're testing that already exists on the market for HIV and hepatitis C. Those drugs, they're being tested right now. We might, if the results are very positive, we might get early results in late April. Um, But uh, there's no guarantee. Only under extremely successful circumstances will they release and end studies early. But, you know, but hopefully we'll get answers on antiviral drugs in, in, uh, in a month or two. 
Okay. All right. Well, that's the end of my list. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. A lot of people around here are really glad to hear some what they feel is valuable and authentic information coming from you, and we don't have a lot of it here in the middle of Missouri right now. So I really appreciate your time and and uh, sure. and everything that you're doing. Uh, yeah. Best of luck. Hope to talk soon again. Yep, we'll do it again. And uh, thanks again, Dr. Ding. Take care of yourself. Easy. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Dr. Eric Feigl Ding. He's an epidemiologist at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health. And he's also, he's a senior fellow at the Federation of American Scientists or something to that effect. <laughs> anyway. Valuable opinion, and I'm glad I had a chance to talk with Dr. Eric again this afternoon. On the web, you can find out information and really stay up to date with what Dr. Eric Ding is doing on Twitter, at Dr. Eric Ding, D-R-E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G. That's Dr. Eric Ding on Twitter. Um, Certainly updated regularly there, and I appreciate all the information that he is sharing with us, and I'm glad to be in touch with Dr. Eric, and we'll we'll get him back if uh, if need be, okay? All right, <clears throat> it's Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. We're about five minutes after...